been uh, quite the quite the week in Vancouver. Yeah, we're we all we all got socked in. <laughs> I missed most of it though. I was in San Francisco. <laughs> it's like 12 degrees, <laughs> hoodie weather, Wow! light jacket weather at night. Isn't wow. it like always 12 degrees in San Francisco? Pretty though? much. That's as uh, inhospitable <laughs> as it gets over there, apparently. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't too bad for me. Like I was really fortunate that I got to work from home, so I had a nice, snuggle, soft day at home, just tapping away at my spreadsheets. <laughs> Yeah, when I flew in, the taxi line at the airport was terrible. I oh. I stood in line for forty minutes. It moved pretty like quickly, though. I was kind of impressed by that. But uh, by the time I got a taxi, the line had doubled in length. And oh, I wouldn't wow. be surprised if the people who had joined like as soon as I got a cab uh, would have had to stand in line for an hour and a half. And I felt really bad for them. Oh, brutal! Yeah, it was pretty cold out there, and I think a lot of people were not like dressed for the weather either yeah no the worst thing is coming back from a sunny location where you've gone escape to and then like suddenly it's a lot colder than it even normally is here what i hate is like having to go you have to go to like a sunnier or warmer location like from vancouver in the winter time you have to dress warmly to the airport yeah and then shut it all <laughs> off there and then you have to like uh redress when you get back so like you're you're burdened with all these like heavy coats and boots. Yeah. Like at the at the place where you're vacationing at. Yeah. have uh, Nina Matsumoto as a guest again today. Thanks for having me back. We're glad to have you because we are missing two trade waiters. Jeff is uh, on the run from the law. Uh, <laughs> he says he didn't commit the crime, but Typical. that's for the courts to decide. <laughs> uh, and Jess has been missing for months. Um, she mysteriously disappeared at the same time as her twin brother. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Last seen in Siberia. That's surprisingly relevant. <laughs> And Jeff keeps tweeting something about a monster that's growing bigger inside him. Sounds made up. I don't think that's true. <laughs> okay. I know I know that Vancouver living is stressful, but uh, <laughs> I think it would come to this point. So in case you haven't guessed by now, what are we talking about today? We read Naoki Urasawa's Monster. We're going to do two episodes about this. So this is about volume one, and the next episode will be about volume two. Can you tell us more about this edition? Like, it looks like it's an omnibus. Yeah. So depending on which version you find, like, what counts as volume one is going to be different. So uh, volume one, for our purposes, is up to chapter 16, which, uh, Nina, that's the first two volumes of the thinner trades, right? Yes. I have all of the original print, uh, and the first volume of this one was for uh, printed in 2006, it looks like. And, uh, yeah, so two of these original uh, volumes make up one of the the perfect editions. And I'm glad the perfect edition came out because for a long time these are out of print. <laughs> and uh, it took me a while to collect all of them because the final volumes were just, like, so hard to find. I think the final one, 18, I, I paid, like, over 40 bucks for it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, the perfect editions are pretty easy to find right now. I will say, though, that Viz has a thing about digital editions where they don't tend to release a lot of their stuff in digital editions, which for me is a little frustrating. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe we can go into that in a little bit. But. Uh, we can, actually, because it turns out it's not just Viz, Viz's fault this time. Oh. Um, Urasawa himself has said that he, quote-unquote, prefers physical books. Well, good for Urasawa. <laughs> mm. Doesn't help if you live in a tiny house uh, in another country and manga is expensive. And heavy to ship. Like, I... <laughs> I ended up getting this from Indigo, which is great. Thanks, Indigo. Uh, and I ended up throwing in Meat and Bone, which oh, is nice. another big book. And I thought, well, you know what? Shipping in Canada is really expensive. So I might as well just batch this all together so they can just put it in one box and get it to me. And I got three separate boxes. Oh. <laughs> I'm really envious of media mail in the U.S. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wish we had something like that here. I think Americans don't appreciate how good a postal system they have. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, well. You know what? I'm, I'm kind of, uh, 
I'm kind of glad that Urasawa seems to have a lot of say over the distribution of his work. That's true. Um, that's why, you know, we don't have digital edition, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, but also, that's also why we don't have too many of his works brought over here in English, mm. unfortunately. I wish we had, like, all of his, um, his more recent stuff, like Billy Bat especially, he should come over here. Oh, we don't, that's not in English? No, not yet. Oh, because I was... been released in Europe. Oh, Wow. Because uh, when I was French, looking up his uh, biography, um, like he's got so many titles that he's done that I'm not even going to bother listing them all. But uh, Billy Bat is one that I looked at and said, oh, that looks really interesting. I would like to it read is. that. I haven't heard about it yet. What What is it about? It's uh, from the synopsis on Wikipedia, at least. It is about a Japanese-American cartoonist who in, comes up with a cartoon character that is successful and then... Uh, realizes that he came up with the idea based on something he saw in Japan in the distant past, I think when he was a child or something. So he travels to Japan to figure out, like, did he steal his idea? Oh. Uh, and then it turns into this, like, mystery story? Uh, it turns into a pretty crazy story about how Billy Bat kind of, like, was pre- omnipresent throughout, like, history. Oh, <laughs> in wow. In different periods of time, uh, in different countries. And kind of like uh, was a catalyst for a lot of events that happened in history. It's really, really like I don't know, like a broad story, and it's hard to describe what it is. Maybe that's why they haven't attempted bringing it over here. I don't know why uh, Urasawa is so picky about what gets distributed <laughs> and where hmm. and how. I mean, I, like I said, I'm glad they're um, you know honoring his wishes, but we need more Urasawa stuff. <laughs> and I think Monster is the first series of his that was brought over here. Really. It probably was the first. Since then, there has been Pluto mm-hmm. and 20th Century Boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what order they came over in. but uh, We can talk about that when we do the biography. Kay. I don't know what order they came over in, but I know what order they were uh, drawn in, at least. Okay. I, I'm just really glad I can read Japanese so I can read <laughs> his other stuff that has been released here. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Especially Billy Bat. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, that from your description, that sounds like exactly the story written for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You would totally love it. Uh, maybe you could try to pick up the French version. I can't read French either. But it's still, like, you still have more of a chance of um, understanding it better than I Japanese. No, I can read some kanji because I learned Chinese. So, like, I think I'm closer right now to learning Japanese than French. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we should introduce ourselves first. Uh, let's do a character-building question. And I'm going to read this question, and if you don't like it, we can change it. So, Because <laughs> I, I was trying to pick something on theme. Uh, but my question for you is, tell us a time that you took a moral stand on something. Could be something big or something small. Doesn't matter. But making that choice cost you something along the way. Is that too deep? That's a very deep question. I'm like, man, <laughs> I have to like, look back at my life and <laughs> ponder some things. Do you want me to start with one? Sure. Okay. All right, so uh, many years ago when I was an English teacher in Taiwan, the first full-time job I ever had was teaching English in a small town in Taiwan. The first school I worked at wasn't a great school, uh, and about six months in, the owner of the school decided that, uh, and announced this to the rest of us by telling the students first, that Chinese was now banned in all our classrooms. And I did not like that because that reminded me a little too much of residential schools. Mm. Uh, So I went and uh, got in an argument with her and then quit soon after. (laughs) So it cost me a job. Mm. uh, But I think that was the right call. I don't think that's how, um, like, learning English should be. And I actually wrote a paper on that in um, university later uh, and I could find no research to support that banning one language encourages learning of another. Interesting. <laughs> huh. So it doesn't have to be as deep as that. That was... Uh, I think mine's a little deeper. Okay. Uh, so I'm Jam. Did you say here? I didn't. Uh, I'm Jonathan. Sorry. Oh, God. I was like this stranger <laughs> here. Like, thank God. It, it's John. Um, so I'm Jam, and I, uh, I guess the positive way to describe it would be I have a very strong ethical core but the negative way to say it is that I'm very self-righteous and so I get in trouble a lot for stuff like this (laughs) Uh, one of the times is at one of my previous roles there was a a veto clause which was good at the time which was if there is something ethically gray and you weren't comfortable working on it you could initiate a veto and the company wouldn't work on it and I vetoed some military drone technology 
I said, I don't want to be working for a company that works on military drones. Uh, and it was contentious. And because it was like, oh, we're protecting people in Syria and whatever. There was, I guess, nuance, but not to me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, I didn't lose my job then, but I did eventually. I think it was one of the... They, they ended up having to change the veto policy oh. because like, oh, apparently like the way I did it was, you know, oh, well, you're not allowed to veto things if we need the money, you know. So, womp womp. <laughs> I think you made the right call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, man, that is a really hard question. Uh, <laughs> first of all, my name is, oh. Does my name really matter, though? What's in a name? <laughs> <laughs> That's we got to save that as a question for the next episode. <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, my name is Nina. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm kind of a coward, so I can't think of any times where I've stood up to anything like morally. I also don't like kind of get into those kind of situations. Really, uh, I've seen a lot of people, other people do it, but I just kind of stand on the sidelines and watch. Much like Johan does. <laughs> I just watch the world burn. <laughs> he enjoys that, though. That's different. <laughs> well, I didn't say I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, next let's talk about uh, Naoki Urasawa. He was born in 1960. He has won the Kuken Manga Award three times, the Tezuka Osamu Cultural Prize two times, the Kodansha Manga Award, uh, and probably others that weren't on his Wikipedia page. He's done so many books that I didn't even bother to write them all down. He takes a lot of his inspiration from Osamu Tezuka, and you can kind of see that in all of his stories, and also see that in sort of his career path, too, I think. He was first published in uh, 1981. And some of his, the, the works of his that are available in English are 20th Century Boys, which is kind of a science fiction. What would, uh, you've read more of it than I have, Nina. What would you describe it as for, like, genre? Yeah, I would say science fiction. But again, like, it's really hard to define, you know, any of his stuff into any genre. It's kind of a thriller, maybe? Yeah, yeah. A lot of his stuff is like a thriller. He's called the Master of Suspense right on the cover of, of these books. <laughs> Uh, and then there's Monster, which we're going to talk about today. Uh, he's also, he did Pluto, which is one of my favorites. It's an adaptation of an Astro Boy story. So it was just a, a very short story that uh, Tezuka did, like, I don't know, 50s or 60s probably. And uh, with the approval of the Tezuka estate, he did his own version of it, which ended up being a uh, many-volume story. And it's very in-depth, but also very reverential to the original. It's one of my favorite adaptations of a previous comic I've ever seen. And I'm glad that it's short, too, because if you try to collect any of his other works, any of <laughs> other uh, Urasawa's works, it's like 18 volumes, mm-hmm. like 20 whatever volumes. <laughs> Pluto is like, what, six books? That's it? I think so. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's oh, like wow. less than a foot worth of comics. Oh. So if you want to introduce someone uh, to Urasawa's works, but you don't want to make them <laughs> buy like 18 volumes or something, yeah. Pluto's a good one to start with. I, I'm used to that from manga, so it's like I didn't push through to the end of Pluto because it's like, oh, I'm going to slog oh, through really? this. But I think I got to volume five, so maybe I okay. should. Yeah, I'm close to the end there. Yeah. So uh, these others, I guess, are not available in English, but there is also uh, one of his earlier ones was uh, Yawara, which is kind of a romantic comedy. A sports manga. Okay. Yeah, it's about a, a judo girl. Right. And at the time, there was like a, a famous or popular female judo, what would you call it, judo fighter, mm-hmm. uh, who was competing in the Olympics, and uh, she was nicknamed Yawara-chan because of the way she drew her hair. <laughs> cool. And I was turned to an anime, too, okay. at the time. He was doing a lot of sports stuff back then. Oh. He was kind of pushed into it by his editors. Yeah, he's done a lot of different genres, and I guess none of them necessarily fit perfectly in any genre, but still it's interesting to have like that much range. That's a very Tezuka trait as well. It was interesting reading, by the way, like uh, Yaura and uh, Happy, which is the tennis manga he did, because they're both so light huh. and comical compared to something like Monster mm-hmm. and 20th Century Boys. <laughs> uh, and then we already talked about uh, Billy Bat. He also has a, a TV series... Uh, called Man Ben, where he interviews other cartoonists and they talk about their work. Uh, that's been happening since uh, 2014. Yeah, they're recorded um, drawing like um, a page of their manga for like a week, and then they like 
watch themselves uh, with Urasawa and talk about their process. It's pretty, um, it's cool to watch as an artist and also just kind of like good uh, slow TV, I think. Mm. They don't talk much. Over <laughs> I also want to point out, they, they also released Master Keaton in English. Okay. Which I don't think he wrote. I think he just drew it. But that was also a very uh, famous work by him. That's I, tr- another... I couldn't get into it, though. Okay. That's another, like, mystery-type story, right? Yeah, kind of kind of episodic. Uh-huh. Um, and then apparently he's also a musician. Whoa. As a musician, he co- goes by the name Bob Lennon. <laughs> uh, and he's released uh, two albums uh, and I, I haven't listened to any of it but it's uh, apparently folk rock I actually have um, a couple of his CDs that I, I bought when I saw his exhibit in Osaka Oh, I've been to two of his exhibits by the way one in Osaka and one in uh, Los Angeles the Los Angeles one was way smaller so I'm glad I got to see the Osaka one first and uh, I bought like one of his albums which has his like autograph on it and uh, yeah like he's He's basically inserted himself in 20th Century Boys as yeah. Kenji. <laughs> That's basically straight up him, <laughs> especially after the time skip. Huh. I don't know, remember if I got that far. I, I need to read more of 20th Century Boys. It's a long, long read, <laughs> so I understand why you haven't seen it. Maybe let's uh, do first impressions. Uh, this is the, the second time I've read this book. Uh, what did the rest of you think? This is, I think... I think I haven't read the manga before, so this is my first time reading the manga, and I've watched a little bit of the anime. Uh, so I really liked this work. I I love Naoki Urasawa's work. It's like, in my opinion, he's one of the, the greatest living cartoonists today. Uh, and so his work is always beautiful and super engaging and page-turny to read. But I guess I was struck by how little happened. And like, <laughs> and that's kind of my big, uh, I don't know. I don't, it's, I don't think it's a bad thing. But I, I'm very fuzzy about what happened when, so you might have to correct me. But like, we got to almost the end of this book before anything substantial happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I asked to be on this episode because uh, I love Urasawa's work so much, and I would say Monster is my favorite manga as an adult. Wow. Like I have my favorite manga as a as a child. That's Doraemon. Uh, favorite manga as a teenager or adolescent is uh, Hoshinengi. And yeah, definitely Monster is my favorite manga as an adult. And uh, I discovered his work when I was working at this hobby store, uh, you know, the Crystal Mall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, a big Asian Asian mall in uh, Burnaby. I was working at a hobby store, so selling things like uh, Gundam model kits and <laughs> uh, anime figures and stuff like that. And there, we had a small uh, manga rack as well. Uh, not, not many people bought manga because most people were there for, you know, toys. And my uh, my shifts were, were incredibly slow because I had like the like the morning slash uh, afternoon shift, so it was like before kids got out of school or people got out of work. And so I, I would pass my time uh, usually reading whatever manga we got in. And uh, there was this one like white book uh, that came out, and you know, like if you look at the cover of the book, I mean, I love the graphic design; it's very plain. But because of that, it's not very like eye-catching, right? It's like mm-hmm. it's like a tiny picture of Dr. Tema in the upper right corner. The title is huge, and like uh, what what drew me is how it says uh, from Japan's master of suspense. I'm like, oh, who is this guy? I don't know who this guy is. And what's funny is in in Japan, the Japanese release, the cover is pretty much this, except there's more more German text, and where it says from Japan's master of suspense, it says. Uh, Naruki Urasawa presents horrible story. <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't keep that because I mean horrible in the traditional sense, but mm-hmm. not not great for English marketing. Yeah. So I, I picked it up because nobody was like reading it because you know it was mostly people who bought like Naruto headbands and Gundam kits <laughs> were the customers. And as soon as I started reading it, I could not put it down, and I was like, "Wow, what is this? It's it's so good!" Like uh, he really is a master of suspense. The way he paces his pages and like, the, the layouts aren't very flashy at all. There's a lot of talking heads. Mm. But somehow he makes it so interesting to, to read. And so after this, the first volume, by the way, the, the first volume of the original release, uh, it ends at, I think, the most perfect spot. It's, like, right after uh, Tema meets Johan as an adult. As an mm. adult. Oh, yeah. You know, and then you see Lunge, and then it's just the final pages of him, like, you know, screaming in the rain. And I was like, man, I really want to read the next volume. So yeah. from then on, like, any time a new volume... Oh, I bought the book, by the way, because no one else was buying it. <laughs> After that, like, any time it came out, uh, a new volume came out, I just bought it right away. And then I stopped working there, 
And I was like, man, I can't get any more <laughs> of Monster. <laughs> and uh, so I started watching the anime because by, by that point, all oh, the anime had been made. And I, I think the anime is like one of the best uh, adaptations out there. It's pretty much like panel for panel, hmm. exactly the same thing. They do, do such a great job with it. And uh, as much as I love manga like more than uh, animation, I think sometimes the anime enhances the story because uh, you know the way it's shot and the, the music and the pacing and the mood can actually make it make some scenes more effective than in the manga. Like for example, the scene where Tema is just like ranting to Johan while he's like seemingly unconscious in bed, like Johan as a young boy, mm-hmm. and then he like slams his fist down and says, "Oh, uh, oh, they're better off de- uh, dead." <laughs> This part in the anime is so effective because like, he's just like you know yelling, and then it, the the music kind of swells up to that point, and he just slams his fist down and, and screams at, and then there's like silence. I'm like, man, you know, <laughs> I, I usually recommend, uh, I usually like the manga more in the anime, but in this case, uh, they're they're pretty you hmm. know equal, <laughs> and you, you can't say that uh, about most uh, adaptations. So I would recommend both, except the anime is really, really hard to get because uh, it's only been released in DVD, which has been out of print for a long time, and you can't watch it streaming anywhere. I want it to be on Netflix or something. I think everyone should see it. Mm. Yeah, I remember the uh, the anime adaptation being really, really good. Like, it really stands out in my memory to the point where it's like, when we were going to read the manga, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm stoked. Like, I, I didn't finish the anime, but I, I liked it a lot. So I will second that I think it is a really good adaptation. Cool. Yeah, I really love this book. That's why I picked it. It was really good reading it the second time. Like after finishing the two volumes we're doing for the podcast, I really want to now go back and like get the uh, the rest of the volumes so I can finish them mm. because I forget the ending now. <laughs> There's so many twists and turns mm. in this story. I remember liking the ending a lot, and I know that's not everyone's recollection of the ending but I liked it and I don't remember because there's like so, so many twists and turns and it's all got jumbled in my head uh, and yeah, the ending is very polarizing yeah. I will say uh-huh. uh, we won't spoil the ending because we're only talking about volume one today so we will spoil volume one but last time I read this I borrowed Nina's copies and so I need my own copies now so that I can read it again whenever I want because they're, <laughs> they're so good and the perfect editions are all out uh, are they? Okay. Are they? I'm not sure. I was sure. just asking. Um, there are definitely more than two out. There are more than two out. I think I remember seeing four. I'm not sure, actually. There should be nine, then, if my math is right. Because it's 18 volumes. Yeah. Okay. Man, I wish it was digital. <laughs> too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Like, even that's just a lot of paper. Uh-huh. Like, and mm-hmm. oh, can we talk for a second about... I'm sorry to be, like, the only dissenting voice here, but, like... Uh, <laughs> I agree with you, Nina, that the graphic design on the original edition is really, really strong. And so longtime trade readers will know that I I am the one who always prefers the digital edition. I have a small apartment. I'm pretty picky about what I select to own. And I'm usually kind of jealous of John, who is the print preferred, because the editions that he brings in, they have like, I am a print nerd, and they have really nice cover treatments. I don't really like the design of these perfect editions. Yeah, no, the cover is not great. Yeah. It's kind of boring. Yeah, it's kind of dull. It's got like a really, it has no embellishment or treatment. It's like a bunch of scenes in a frame. Mm-hmm. I don't think it really evokes the mood of what's happening. So like, I I will not continue to own this book. <laughs> uh, I will be donating it to the library so many people can read it. But like, I was disappointed in Fizz. Yeah, uh, I, I agree too. Like looking at these now, it's just like what a wall full of pictures. Like mm-hmm. even the colors aren't that interesting. <laughs> it looks kind of phoned in. Uh huh. It it almost looks like if you got like a WordPress layout for your website and you <laughs> you got like a gallery extension that makes it look like <laughs> your pictures are in a like gallery frames. That's yeah. what it looks like to me. It's that first year graphic design yeah. project. <laughs> and I wonder like like who made this decision and. Was Urasawa okay with this? I don't know how much say he has over the graphic design of his books. Mm, that's true. Yeah, definitely and don't judge this book by this cover is <laughs> what I would say. Like, the, the material within is far, far better than, than this treatment. I think the only thing cool is when you join all the books together, uh, they do form one continuous picture. 
Do they? In the yeah, they do. Uh, let's see. Not that yeah. way. Oh. The, the front. Oh, the front. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, oh, there we yeah, go. Yeah. Like that. Oh, okay. All right. That's not cool enough. <laughs> yeah, who, who displays them? I that know. Way? <laughs> right? yeah. It should be the spine that does that, uh-huh. yeah. not the front covers. Uh-huh. I'm always impressed when spines do that because mm-hmm. then it looks super nice on your shelf. And it's mm-hmm. like so much pre planning to make the spines all fit together, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder like how they could have made it better. Like it needs a more enticing cover, I think. Mm. You know what? I'm I'm simple. I'm like put a little spot UV on there. <laughs> like you know, like it's... well, even like the first inside cover page is a more uh, yeah. eye-catching image. So I do like this vellum. I do like there's a, there's a vellum insert where it's like a a, a spotlight, I guess you can say. And oh yeah. Uh, so that that's nice. Uh-huh. And it's a fr- it's like they have French flaps, but then they don't. Do anything with it. Yeah, they're it. blank. <laughs> Who wastes a French flap like that? They're both blank. Disappointed. You know, like, <laughs> I, I talked about how the the cover of the originals uh, didn't seem to be very eye catching for people who are more into like you know, shonen manga or whatever. But um, I, I liked it because it kind of evokes a more mature sense, and it sure. lets you know this isn't for your, uh, you know, like a typical manga reader. It's something uh, deeper than that. And the title looks embossed. The embossing is cool. Come yeah. on. The, the, <laughs> I love the title logo with the sword in there. Yeah, it's Actually, cool. the, well, the, the team uh, sword. Actually, now that I think about it, why is it a sword? That's a good question. <laughs> There's no swords in there this really story aren't. at all. <laughs> no. But there is a T in monster, so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, if, so you, if you do this, cover the top and bottom, looks like monsieur. Monsieur. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> At least you took out the horrible story part. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's see if I can sum up the plot of Volume 1 briefly. Uh, anyone can, like, jump in if I forget anything. But So the main character is Dr. Kenzo Tenma. He is a Japanese citizen living in Germany, practicing medicine at a uh, prominent hospital. He saves the life of a young boy who's been shot. Uh, his sis- the, the boy's sister is comatose at the time. He chooses to save this boy's life rather than the mayor. Uh, and the mayor ends up dying. The boy lives. And as a result, Kenzo loses his status with the hospital administrator. He's sort of on the outs with, the, with management. But he's still a doctor. He's still, like, he's decided that it doesn't matter. All lives are worth the same amount. I made my choice and I stand by it. The oh, boy was um, there first. I should, I should also add that he was kind of like climbing the political ladder within mm-hmm. the hospital. He's engaged to the hospital director's daughter who, you know, she obviously wants a luxurious lifestyle. She doesn't seem very interested in, in him. And, uh, yeah, like after he chooses the life of the boy over the, the mayor, like she, like Eva, calls up the engagement. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Tema's de- uh, demoted, so he just kind of loses everything there. Oh, not like, only is he he's demoted, but also they make him do a lot of like uh, emergency surgery, so he's just like deprived of sleep. Mm-hmm. And he's been writing papers for the hospital administrator, who right. signs his own name on them, so he doesn't even have like a record that he can then use to get a job at another hospital. <laughs> so he's kind of like stuck now. This he's he's reached his limit. This is all he's going to be for the rest of his life now. Yeah. Uh, and he expresses his frustrations over the body of this comatose boy. And then later, all the people that he is mad about end up dead from poisoned candy. And the police are like have, they've decided that he's the one who did it, and they go after him and. There are two police officers who are probably going to kill him or something. Well, um, <laughs> like the, the Inspector Lunge of the BKA, he kind of suspects Tenma. Mm-hmm. But they don't have evidence against him because what's important is he was out uh, drinking all night the night the three uh, you know, important figures of the hospital were killed. Mm-hmm. And so he has an alibi. And so they can't put it on him. But Lunge thinks there's something you know, to him. So it kind of keeps him in mind. And then the, the story skips forward like nine, right. nine years, I think. Yeah, that's nine right. years. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Someone else ends up dead first. Uh, it's, um, 
uh, he's there's so, again there's so many twists and turns it's hard to keep it all straight <laughs> but um, he runs across the the sister yeah so uh, she has sort of like moved on with her life she doesn't remember her childhood at all so she, she got like adopted out almost mm-hmm. and because of her amnesia her parents were just like we're your parents this is yeah. you've always been here mm-hmm. so she's in law school this is uh, is it nine years later yeah it's nine years uh, so the story starts in 1986, and after the time jump, it's 1995, which was like the year after the book started being published, which is interesting. I didn't know it was that old, actually. Hmm. Um, oh, so it was set in the future when it originally came out? Well, like a year in the future, yeah, probably okay. with the expectation that like time is going to catch yeah. up with the story as it's released. Okay. Um, but also the boy, Johan... Yes. And that girl is Anna. Mm-hmm. But then Anna is uh, becomes Nina when she's adopted. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know her past life. There's a lot of name changes in this story. That too. <laughs> name is a, a big theme in this. Mm, yeah. So he finds Anna slash Nina. And I can't remember what the impetus is for him to track her down at that point. Oh, just to find out more about Johan, I think. That's right. Yeah, he kind of, he goes on this vendetta where he's like, I have to track down Johan. And, well, basically, he figures out that it was Johan who killed these people. Right, that's So, Johan is the one who poisoned the candy. Mm -hmm. But that confuses me, to be honest. Like, I I don't understand how he managed to poison the candy. I know, that confuses me too. (laughs) First of all, like, the, the candy was there because, well, the hospital was trying to, like, kind of profit off of you know the twins or Johan getting shot and uh, the sister being in like a state of shock so they're trying to like you know even though it was Tema that saved the boy this they made the news and they're like oh we can use this to our advantage like we can make this advertiser hospital basically yeah uh, and so they started receiving all these like flowers and candies from people to Johan and then you know because the, the head of the hospital and the, the head neurosurgeon and whatever they're all like jerks they start eating the candy one of the candies the candy that that has been given to the child but there's like lots of candies there yeah Mm. and they just happen to pick one that johan somehow after having been shot in the head has managed to coordinate for it to be poisoned i so do not understand i was thinking about this and i was like well maybe um they start they open one of the uh, the packages and start eating the candy right yeah maybe then at some point they leave and then he poisons the candy and then they come back for more or maybe he poisons them like not using the candy and they just assume it's the candy that's been poisoned because that's the the thing that all three of them have eaten I'm pretty sure it is the candy though that okay. was poisoned because there's no other way the poison could have been administered yeah I don't know because then he later like <laughs> nine years later he kills a, a guard the same way uh-huh. yeah. uh, which again I don't know how he did that maybe he offered well, <laughs> no guard his a candy lot, he is now an adult and conscious yeah so it's a little bit more plausible this time <laughs> yeah, but, but you can't guarantee the guard was going to eat that candy right yeah. then and there too uh-huh. but yeah that is an important part though the fact that nine years later uh, Johan basically confronts not really confronts but he reunites with Temma and that's when he tells him like I uh, killed all those people because you mm. told you said you wanted them dead and I owe you my life you're like a father to me but hmm. I thought yeah, sorry, my memory's a little fuzzy today. I'm a little bit out of it. But I thought that Tenma had figured out that it was Johan doing this back then. And he was even telling the inspector it was Johan who killed these people. Uh, he didn't know back then. He didn't. Uh, Tenma had no idea what was going on until Johan like, reunited with him. Oh, okay. In the scene so at the. Really, we only have Johan's word that he poisoned them. That's our only proof. So he could be lying. Yeah, and he does later in the story prove to be manipulative. So For sure. Uh, Johan is manipulative, but he never really lies, though. Hmm. I don't think. Like, he'll lie about his identity, but everything, like, he he admits to everything he does. Yeah, and he takes pride in it almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, like, throughout the whole series, he's kind of... Uh, an almost supernatural character like the so I don't know I that part didn't bother me because Johan is just this sort of like almost otherworldly figure who accomplishes things that a normal person would never be able to do but yeah so (laughs) he says at least that he poisoned them then Kenzo tracks down Anna 
and tries to warn her, but it's too late because Johan has already killed her adoptive parents. And now they're the prime suspects. Uh, and there's these two corrupt cops who meet them at the door of the crime scene and drive off with them. And uh, they have, like, blood on their clothes. So Kenzo is convinced, like, oh, these are the guys who were the actual killers. I need to get out of this car. So, and they are actual cops. Uh, they're not, like, disguised as cops. They're just in in the uh, employ of Johan, it turns out. Um, so he and Anna escape, and uh, they're now on the run from the law because they're running away, and the police were chasing them. And... Well, uh, Tema isn't wanted for the murder of her parents. He's he's wanted for the murder of uh, the random guy at the castle mm-hmm. where Johan uh, meets up with, with Anna. Yeah. Or tries to, anyway. Because he leaves evidence behind. He yeah. leaves his tie. But Lunge thinks he's done more than just that. Mm-hmm. But legally, <laughs> <laughs> technically, uh, he's wanted for the murder of that, that one guy. Yeah. So Inspector Lunge is this sort of obsessive character like really dedicated to his work but convinced that Tenma is the culprit and he's going to go like chase him down no matter what it takes. Lunge is really cool. Yeah. I love Lunge. He might be one of like he might be my favorite character. Like I love Dr. Tenma. Uh he's my husbando. But, <laughs> but Lunge is a character. He's so great. He's like a Vulcan almost. Yeah. <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. just he got like, like he's got like such a distinctive face and he's got such a distinctive like demeanor yeah. and it, like these unique quirks. He just is a really fascinating character I find. Like he moves his finger like he's typing. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh, I'm just writing this all he's down." Un- and yeah. I have like an idiotic <laughs> memory about it and <laughs> info in my my hard drive in my brain. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like a robot. <laughs> I, I love the way Urasawa draws faces by the way. Oh, he's like hands down my favorite artist for like old white people. <laughs> No one can draw old white people like Urasawa. It's so true. It's like such a weird thing to say, and yet you open the book and like, oh yeah, I get it. Like, <laughs> it's it's unreal. Like he can take he, every single face he makes is so distinct and so unique and yeah. so like on point and realistic, and he can draw it at any angle. Like even minor side characters have like just these evocative features, so uh-huh, to speak. Uh-huh. And, like, they seem very German, too. Like, they remind oh, yeah. me of my relatives. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Anna and Johan, uh, they look kind of generic. Uh-huh. You know, typical kind of manga style, because they're meant to be very beautiful, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Kenzo, too, because he's the main character. He's, like, even Ten- Tenma looks kind of distinctive, though. Okay. Like, his nose is very distinctive. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I he like, has I like his face. features. Yeah, yeah he's really... He's mm. just, uh, just so good at it. And yeah, you're, like <laughs> I love how yeah, the white characters actually look white. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I've, I've made tweet threads about anytime anyone's talking about how their theory is that manga characters are meant to look white. Like, no, no, just no, read no. anything by Urasawa. <laughs> yeah. You can tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's got a lot of amazing. That's one of the things that I love the most about uh, Urasawa's work, and it's funny because like he even manages to have that high esteem for me while doing one of my pet peeves, which is panels of people talking but their mouths are always closed. Oh, I didn't even notice. Yeah, wow. most I don't of the mind time. That. I don't mind it with Urasawa. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just because the faces are so beautiful and expressive, and like the faces, the expressions will shift very subtly to yeah. to match what they're saying so it, it you probably didn't pick up on it because it's so smooth uh-huh. but you know what you're the only one allowed to do that Urasawa <laughs> no one else is allowed to commit that sin to me man that's so. that's really funny though because um i m- one of my pet peeves is when someone's speaking in a comic their mouth, mouths are always open interesting okay i don't think it's necessary uh-huh. and i i tend to like mix it up I think mixing up is more common in, in manga, and I feel like open mouth is more common in uh, Western comics. Yeah. And w- when I used to draw for Bongo comics, uh, when I first started, I would sometimes draw panels where a character was speaking, but their mouth wasn't open, and then they would tell me to have their mouths open. I really hated that. Like, <laughs> there's, there's a speech bubble going right there. You know they're talking. They don't have to have their mouths open. <laughs> sometimes like a closed mouth has... Uh, more with the expression I want to convey in a panel. That's true. I mean, and you, when you're talking, like, there are points where your mouth is closed, and it's yeah. still shot. <laughs> so it's possible. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, Urasawa can, like, do, like, pages and pages of people just talking, just talking heads, and no one is as good at that as he is. I think he, like, I, I haven't actually examined this myself, but I bet he breaks a lot of rules, mm. a lot of, like, comic rules. 
I saw a point where he broke the 180 rule, I think. I'm okay. sure he does that a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which but it is doesn't one matter. That I don't agree with. I don't think the 180 rule is real. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's more of a suggestion. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, he makes it work. Like, uh, arguably, his uh, panel compositions are kind of, like, dull. But for some reason, uh, they don't make you bored. They, mm. they read really clearly. Yeah. So I think... It's interesting, like I, I said in the beginning, it felt like nothing happened, and yet, like, I enjoyed reading this whole book, and I do agree that it's a page-turner. Mm-hmm. But then it was like, I was just kind of, what are we going to talk about here? Like, we got <laughs> to the end, and he's like, oh, like, they said the word monster once. It's kind of funny, like, compared <laughs> to other books, and to get through this much comic where you, you get to point A to point B, but you're, you are right, like, it is very twisty-turny, and, like, mm-hmm. when stuff is revealed, and how you learn it, and it's engaging and interesting, and I... I'm loving the story. I think the characters that come up along the way are just super f- interesting and mm-hmm. worth reading about. That's true. Every time the story shifts away from Tenma and it's about someone else, it still keeps you interested. Yeah. He's just good at these like little side characters. Some uh, Don't get attached to too many characters when you're reading this, by the way. Because... <laughs> Yeah, they could uh, they could drop dead at any point, and you don't know when they might. Some of them do survive, but the, the uh-huh. reporter is in this one, right? Um, in this book, yeah, yeah, yeah. The overweight, like, yeah. chain Who smoking yeah. reporter. Uh-huh. Oh, and oh, he's so, he so good, and that made me so. He's sad. not in the comic for very long, but you yeah. learn so much about him, and you kind of root for him. Even that guy, um, he was like a, a petty thief. The, oh, yeah. the lock pick. Yeah, who Tenma oh. buys a clock for. Even when he he's gets pivotal killed. to this story too. Yeah, he saves like, oh, the entire Turkish community. Or is that <laughs> no, in volume no, two? No, no, it's someone else. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're talking about uh, this this guy. Oh, right, uh, right, Jun- right. Junker. Uh huh. He's just yeah. He's just like this petty like uh, lockpick, and he talks about how when he was a little boy, he always wanted this clock. He saw <laughs> in the store, and then. Tema buys it for him, but he never gets to deliver it to him. I'm like, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's one of my favorite things when writers do that. And Urasawa isn't the only one who does it. Um, like, Neil Gaiman does this a lot, too, where the story detours to have, like, the entire life story of a side character on a mm-hmm. regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I just love that so much. Yeah. And at the, I think at the beginning, like, you don't expect to really hear from Eva again after she dumps him. Mm-hmm. But you you definitely do. Uh, this the story does go back to her, and you learn a lot about her, and she becomes a pivotal mm-hmm. uh, character in the story too. Mm-hmm. She's also uh, one of my favorite characters in this. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the setting too, because the setting is really interesting. Uh, and I I'm sure I thought I remembered reading somewhere that Urasawa had lived in Germany at some point. But then when I was doing research for this, I couldn't find any corroboration of that so maybe I just made that up well this is interesting I actually wanted to ask the both of you about this as well because like this has such a strong focus on like the German aspect and it's like mm-hmm. huh, interesting choice but then also one of the main characters in Pluto is German as well mm-hmm. right I think like the main robot cop is German yeah yeah so it's like I was curious about like oh is Urasawa just a, a fan of Germany <laughs> or was there some kind of connection or interest there I don't know. Like, he, everything he writes... I haven't actually been to Germany, but everything seems very authentic. Yeah. Which, that's not always the case when uh, a writer is writing about a place they don't live. So, either he has been there or he's done a lot of research, because everything rings true. The, the choice of setting is interesting. It's like, you've got a, a Japanese guy in Germany, and then he becomes a fugitive. Mm-hmm. And you would think... It's, it's funny, because you would think that from them on, any anytime someone sees a Japanese guy, they'll think it's him, but they yeah. don't for some reason. Well, there's, I'm sure there's enough Asian people in Germany that the one character we have in this story isn't going to be, like, they're not just going to assume, oh, it's that guy who's been in the news. I know, but you don't ever see any other Asian characters. Maybe not. But... Uh, and I just came from there. It's, yeah, I think it's, there's not that many. There might <laughs> be, like, a few, but not, like, so few that... You might think, like, oh, is that the guy? <laughs> it's enough yeah. that it would be like, oh, interesting. Yeah. A, a Japanese person is here. But that does happen. I mean, there are times yeah. where people, like, it doesn't take very long wherever he goes for people to figure out who he is. Yeah, that's true. I, I just feel like it should be more immediate. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, it, like, especially with the time period, maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's different now than it was in the 90s. I'm definitely thinking of the time period. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or the 80s, even. Um, I do wonder why he chose this setting to, to put a, a Japanese guy in Germany. 
Because it could have been in, it could have taken place in Japan too. Mm -hmm. He could have made it that way. Or a German guy in Germany. I I wonder if he did it to reinforce the fish out of water kind of stereo, or not stereotype, but trope. Mm. Uh, And it could be also because later on in the story we reveal like some underlying motivations for why Mm -hmm. uh, Johan is this way and how it happened. So it could be like those ties interested him. Yeah, I think that. It it suits the theme. The setting suits the theme, which we, mm-hmm. maybe we should talk more about in volume two because that comes up more often. But yeah, it it felt very appropriate to me when I was reading it. One more thing about the setting, by the way, how how would you feel if this was adapted into a live action series or film? Because there's been a lot of talk about that over the the years. Um, I think if they do, my answer for any time anyone adapts anything that's manga is keep the characters who they are in the in the manga. So have like. The Tenma needs to be Japanese and everyone else needs to be German. Mm-hmm. I think it could work. I think it is a work that is adaptable, but uh, there hasn't been a good track record of adapting nope. manga. So nope. <laughs> No, there was a live-action film, a couple of them, for 20th Century Boys uh, made in Japan, and apparently it was very, very bad. Oh. But that, you know, most most of the time. <laughs> 20th <laughs> Century like Boys, bad. yeah, I think that would be harder to adapt. It's true, yeah, and especially in two films. Mm-hmm. They also changed the ending, apparently, to make oh. more of a surprise. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Guillermo del Toro has been has been trying to sell the idea of uh, adaptation. I think he, uh, he would trust to he, HBO. He could do a good job. Actually, he tried HBO. Apparently, they rejected his pitch, so he's been shopping it around to other okay. other places. Uh, I think that would be cool, but I really, really hope they keep it. Uh, you know, a Japanese man in Germany. Mm-hmm. I'm just afraid they're gonna make it uh, an American guy in Germany, ugh, ugh. or an American guy in America. If or they something. do yeah. that, I won't watch it. Because yeah. you know what happens. Just like I didn't watch Alita. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I just feel like that's what's going to happen. It's so frustrating. Based on the track record. You know? Everything. Every, every single time they do this. I know. And so I was like, oh, it's manga. They look white. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Ghost in the Shell. Learn how to read example. cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is important to keep him uh, a Japanese yeah. guy. Yeah. Like, even if you look at the. Uh, we went into this a bit in the Alita episode, too. I'm going to use this platform <laughs> to, like, repeat myself here. But. Um, like even if you ignore the drawings and don't look for the evidence in the drawings of who the characters are, like the text itself is the evidence. Like he has a Japanese name. He talks about how he grew up in Japan. Like he's an outsider in this place he's in. Yeah. Like those are all fundamental to his character. And if you change those, it's not him anymore. Yeah. Tell that to the Hollywood executives. <laughs> no, I do. They don't listen to me. Speaking of his name, <laughs> Doctor Temma, that's hmm. the name of Astro Boy's. Uh, creator. Oh yeah, oh. clearly. Yeah, so no, he's homage to Astro Boy. He does that a lot. Uh, oh, we'll, we'll talk about this next episode. But there's another connection I want to make there too with um, Tezuka. So ah. <laughs> cool. Well, we've okay, had fun. I think I know what we're gonna talk about. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um. So there, there's more monster on the way. Stay tuned. Make sure to subscribe to get the next part of this story from yeah. us. Yeah, you can follow us on the internet, and then you don't have to. Wait for our Twitter account to tell you that there are new episodes because I haven't been updating it. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's do um, shout-outs and where we can find you on the internet. Okay, uh, I'll start. Uh, my name is Jam. I'm back to being a person on the internet. You can follow Wasted Talent on Webtoon uh, or wastedtalent.ca. The best place to find my most current work is on my Patreon, patreon.com jam. Uh, my shout out. So uh, last year, I spent a lot of time reading very broadly, trying to figure out what I liked and reading a lot of different stuff. This year, I'm going deep. And so I haven't been reading a lot of new stuff, but I've been continuing to drill into what I have been enjoying. Uh, so I may have shouted this out in the past, but I am really enjoying Doro Hedoro. I got up to volume four and it's oh, it's there's <laughs> some really interesting twists in volume four that make everything like for a comic that is profoundly weird and just kind of stuff seems to be happening like oh it's coming together and i'm really enjoying it is that the comic with the large lady there is one large lady yeah yeah uh and she's incredible it's the one with the the guy who has like a lizard for a head okay i just know the large lady because yeah. i saw pictures of her on twitter today i'm like oh what is this she is very large and she's <laughs> very nice can recommend there's uh multiple ladies to mm. to appreciate in uh in Doro Hedoro. That it's very, very weird and very violent. So I like weird. Weird is good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Nina Matsumoto. 
Speaking of, that's a kind of German Japanese sounding name, isn't it? <laughs> it's like yeah. a German first yeah. name and Japanese last name. No wonder I like this series so much. <laughs> uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Space Coyote. That's Space Coyote with an L at the end instead of an E. Uh, you can go to spacecoyote.com and see my works there as well. And my shout out is to Kaiji Gambling Apocalypse. So, Kaiji, how do I explain Kaiji? So, Monster is all about, you know, despair and human greed and men just at the the bottom of their ropes and if you like themes like that then I highly recommend you check out Kaiji it's about this loser basically unemployed loser slash human trash he he calls himself trash all the time who lives in Tokyo takes place in 1996 that's when the series started it's still going on (laughs) and because he's constantly in debt from gambling and drinking and just like you know not up, up to any good he he finds himself in deep, deep, deep debt. And so uh, there's ex- these greedy, rich people who finds people like Kaiji, rounds them up, and makes them play um, a, a deadly game in order to get them to compete for like for money, for their own uh, entertainment. And that's what it's all about. And the, the catch is if they don't win the game, then they go even deeper, uh, deeper into debt. So it's just all about like human misery and <laughs> how low people will go and I love it and it, I'm, I'm glad it's finally out in English they they took started taking pre-orders I think in October 2018 and it kept getting delayed and it finally came out December 2019 and that is in uh, omnibus form as well it's from Denpa and uh, I, I recommend you check it out despite the extremely ugly artwork it is so ugly you will pick it up and go what what is this I don't want to read this just get through it. I, I promise you, you'll love it. <laughs> okay. I'm Jonathan. Uh, you can find my work at phobos-comic.com. And I recently finished reading Paper Girls by Brian K. Vaughan and Cliff Chang. And that's another story that has a lot of twists and turns and a lot of unexpected things happening. And I was kind of worried, oh, I don't know if he's going to be able to wrap up this story in a satisfying way. But no, it was really good. It was good all the way through. I enjoyed all of it. And the art is fantastic. Would recommend. Okay, so our next episode will be on Volume 2 of Monster. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank Sleuth for the music. You can find us at tradewaiters.com as well as Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening. Mm